Good morning. Hey, for those of you, uh, at least who are on our email list, you probably saw the email came through yesterday, or you can look for it, just about our 40 days of prayer and fasting. We're joining with the vineyards around the country, um, all through the U.S., just to pray just that God would speak to us and bring more of his Holy Spirit and, and direct us in terms of the days and the years ahead. So you can go read about that. We've got a, a prayer guide out on the Welcome Center if you want to grab that, or um, and there's a bunch of things you can download through the email too. So um, take a look at that. If you don't didn't get that and want to know about it, just talk to me and I'll get you the info. Um, so um, be great to have you join in with us on that. I was reading about uh, eagles the other day, and you know, eagles are pretty big birds. Uh, an adult eagle has a wingspan of between six and eight feet, can weigh as much as 14 pounds. Now, that might not sound, you know, super heavy, like all that much, but it's almost as heavy as two gallons of milk. So if you want to try an experiment, when you get home today, strap a couple of gallons of milk together, toss them in the air, and see how long they stay up. Be good. Home science. Um, and yet, eagles are flying machines, even though they're so heavy. They, you know, they, of course, get off the ground by flapping their wings, or if they're up in a tree or on a cliff, they'll just step off into the air, and they'll begin to drop because of their weight, but then they'll start flapping those wings like crazy and fly. But once they're airborne, Eagles don't actually flap their wings all that much. They catch the thermals and soar. You know, thermals are those columns of air uh, formed as heat rises from the ground, and these columns of air push up. They displace the cooler air around them, and the eagles ride, ride on that rising air. They're almost at rest while they do that, so they can soar for a long time. It's what eagles were made to do. They begin their flight training when they're only about four months old, but even before that, when they're as young as two months old, little eaglets will stand up in their nest, spread their wings, and feel the gusts of wind. It's like they're learning what it feels like to catch the thermals. And the interesting thing is, when an eagle's up there soaring effortlessly through the sky, the pull of gravity on it is just as strong as it is on those two gallons of milk you're going to go toss up into the air. The downward pull isn't diminished at all. It's just that there's a force greater than gravity at work. God seems to like eagles. You know, they're mentioned at least 33 times in the Bible. So what, you might be saying. Right? Well, this is the final installment of our sermon series called Overflow. We've been talking about how experiencing more of the abundant life of Jesus, uh, more of the life that he promises us, requires, first of all, receiving the good things God has for us, and then allowing his goodness and grace to overflow from us to others. So what does an eagle soaring on the thermals have to do with all that? That's what we're going to look at today. Are you ready? Let's pray. Lord, we do just open ourselves to you right now. We say, come, Holy Spirit, and speak to us and stir our hearts. Uh, connect us just to what's going on in your heart this morning, we ask, Lord Jesus. Uh, I pray for each one of us here that we would know your presence 
that we'd experience you here with us today. We would be able to hear your voice even through the scriptures this morning, that we would know your love, that we would uh, just be open to your transforming work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter 1, verses 4 to 8. It's talking about Jesus, and it says, While staying with them, he ordered them, his disciples, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to uh, know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, these words which Jesus spoke over his disciples encapsulate really the whole theme of overflow that we've been talking about for the past month. Overflow begins with receiving. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're living the kind of life that Jesus lived. Living a life of of loving others, serving others, really is only possible because God has poured his Holy Spirit into us. God himself, you know, his presence in us is what provides us with the strength, the power, the grace, the mercy, the patience, the endurance, anything else we need to live for the sake of others. And I mean, isn't that an amazing thing when you think about it? I mean, that is absolutely amazing. God pours himself into us. Come on, that's a little mind-blowing. God pours himself into us. Jesus promised he's never going to leave us or forsake us. The Holy Spirit fills us up over and over again as we say yes over and over again to his life in us. And then his life overflows from us and our lives are enlarged and enriched as a result. We grow in our experience of the abundant life of God. But it all begins with receiving. It all begins with us going to Jesus again and again, you know, asking, seeking, knocking, pursuing, not just more stuff from him, but more of the Holy Spirit himself, more of his presence, more of his life in us, which is really just another way for talking about me being more open to, more yielded to, more led by the Holy Spirit who's already in me. Amen? And it all begins with receiving. Then what we've received overflows so that we can be Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, for our purposes, you know, as followers of Jesus living in 21st century America, we see Jerusalem, our Jerusalem, as being our local church family here. That's the way we've been using that. Uh, that verse. It's, it's as though, it, or it's those people that we gather to worship with, to follow Jesus with. It's all of us who call Vineyard our church home. So it's all of us. We're the Jerusalem here together. And then our Judea is our family and friends. 
You know, it's the people we're connected to, the people we have history with, people we, for the most part, identify with. Samaria is stepping a little bit farther out then to our neighbors, the communities where we live and work, go to school. Samaria includes people who are different from us, who probably see things differently from us, who think maybe a little bit differently than we do. So over the past few Sundays, we've talked about being witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Our Jerusalem, our Judea, and our Samaria. You know, not just talking about Jesus, but being like Jesus here in our church, with our family and friends, and in our communities. Loving one another, serving one another, because that is what it means to be like Jesus. So what then does it look like to do that to the ends of the earth? Well, some of us go on mission trips, right? Uh, Some of us support children in need in other parts of the world. That's certainly one way that we do it. But I would like to suggest that just as we're not limiting Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to their original geographic meanings, neither do the ends of the earth only need to mean places far from here. I think going to the ends of the earth is supposed to be relevant to every one of us every day. So perhaps it would be helpful to think of it not meaning, uh, not as meaning how far away geographically somebody is from us, but how far removed they are from me in their lifestyle or their beliefs or their political persuasion or their race or whatever it is that I might have a really hard time accepting how far removed they are from me relationally. Jesus once said, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. Well, I don't think the least of these only means the poor or the needy or the prisoners, although it certainly includes all of them. The least of these also means whoever is least in your own eyes. You know, who's the person? Or who's the group of people you can't stand, <laughs> who you look down on, who really bugs you, or, or who you want to avoid? That is your least of these. That is your ends of the earth. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. So how can we do that? And what does it have to do with eagles soaring on the thermals? Well, to talk about that, we're going to look at what might be a surprising place, one of the Ten Commandments. And to give credit where credit is due, some of what I'm about to share is the overflow of what I received from listening to one of my favorite preachers, somebody I listen to regularly, Alan Scott, who pastors the Vineyard Church in Anaheim, California. Um, So I'm going to read to you Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. should be a pretty familiar passage to you, I think. It says, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and your mother. You know, a very common misunderstanding is that God gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments to keep them from misbehaving. 
It was his way of keeping them under control, it's often thought. Or that they were rules he gave to Israel, which they had to follow in order for God to love them, uh, in order for them to be God's people. Uh, But many people still think that's the purpose of the commandments today. It's how they're often viewed. Like the commandments are given to keep us in line or to keep God happy with us. But Israel was already God's people whom he loved dearly long before he ever gave them the Ten Commandments. Long before. And the Israelites didn't need to learn how to follow rules. They had been slaves in Egypt for centuries. All they knew was how to follow rules, right? All they knew was how to do what they were told, take orders and do what they were told. The Ten Commandments were given to teach Israel, who who only knew how to live as slaves. Ten Commandments were given to them to teach them the way to be free, how to live as free people. They were given to draw them into the kind of life and relationships that would enrich and enlarge their lives rather than diminishing and destroying them. And that is still their purpose today. You know, any understanding of the commandments that is about controlling other people or forcing conformity or using them to decide who is in and who is out is a misunderstanding and a misapplication of what God said. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. That's every parent's favorite commandment, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, it gives us so much leverage as parents. We can tell our kids, see, God says you have to do what I say or else, right? It's like this commandment has been made to be all about creating order in our homes, order in the home. But that was actually never God's intention. It's not about creating order in the home. It's about creating honor in our hearts. We're supposed to come to understand honor when we were little people. We were supposed to come to understand honor when we were little people so that when we become big people, we would have been baptized in honor our whole life long. The way God wants me to govern and guide my heart regarding all of my relationships, is with honor. Can you imagine for a minute, just try and imagine this, how different our relationships or the way we do business, the political sphere, you know, marriages, how how different all of that would be if from childhood we had all learned to honor one another. Honoring someone is recognizing their intrinsic value. Not because of what they can do for you, but just because they are made in God's image. Honoring someone means treasuring them. It means recognizing and calling out what is good in them. It also means doing what Paul says in Philippians 2, in humility, considering others as more important than ourselves and looking out for their interests even ahead of our own. That's how God honors us. And that's how he invites us to be like him. 
The commandment invites us to learn to live a life of honor so that our days may be long and that it may go well with us. Or to put that into the the language of Jesus, so that we might experience his abundant, overflowing life. Honoring others is one of the key ways we can intentionally allow the love and the grace that God has poured into us to overflow to other people. And the more we live that way, Jesus says, the more we will experience God's favor and blessing and life in our own lives. So I believe this commandment is still valid today. Not as a way to keep order in our homes, but as a way to create honor in our hearts. Through this commandment, Jesus is inviting us to let him help us overflow with honor. To overflow with honor. So how are kids supposed to learn honor from their parents? Well, it's not going to happen by creating rules that force them to behave a certain way. Your rules are what you end up with when you don't have honor. All all that rules change is the outside. It's just outward conformity. It changes our behavior. But what God wants is to change our hearts. Now, I am not saying that our kids don't need some rules, right? Anybody have kids? They need rules? Yeah, they need rules, right? But the rules are not what will create honor in their heart. The rules are just what they need to learn, they need to have until honoring their parents and honoring other people becomes their way of life. The way kids learn to honor their parents is by seeing and hearing their parents honor each other and honor the kids. How do we speak to each other? Yeah, how do we speak about each other? How do we speak about our neighbors? How do we speak about our boss? <laughs> Are our conversations filled with criticism and cynicism? Or are they filled with words of life that build up others? Yeah, I wish we had all learned this as kids, right? I mean, I wish I had learned this as a kid. But the great thing about following Jesus is that it's never too late. The Holy Spirit is in us. Amen? Yeah, the Holy Spirit's in us. He's the one at work in us. And if we say yes to his work, his power in us is greater than anything else, and it is more than able to transform our lives. Jesus wants to change our hearts. Jesus wants us to grow as people of honor. Jesus wants us to overflow with honor. And Jesus has called us to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So I think this is how we can do that. This is how every day, right here where we live and work and go to school, we can be witnesses for Jesus to the ends of the earth. We can honor those who are least in our eyes. We can honor those whom in the past we have perhaps looked down upon. We can honor those we would rather have nothing to do with because they make us afraid or they make us angry or because they are different from us. We can honor those people who for us are the ends of the earth. Jesus is inviting us to overflow with honor. You know, to honor someone literally means to put them on a pedestal. 
Now, I think we've all learned not to put people on pedestals, right? Yeah? I mean, that's what I've always heard. Don't put people up on a pedestal because you'll just knock them off. You know, we don't want to elevate certain people above others. And in our culture, too, there is so much insecurity. You know, I don't want to put someone else on a pedestal because that would mean they are above me, right? And who wants to do that? But in God's eyes, it's not that we're not supposed to put anyone on a pedestal. It's that we are supposed to put everyone on a pedestal. We are to lift up everyone with honor. I'm to do that for you, and you're to do that for me, and we're all to do it for each other. We're to put everyone's interests ahead of our own, which we can do if we know that we too are honored sons and daughters of God who are utterly loved and infinitely cared for. Jesus is inviting us to overflow with honor. So let's make this really practical, though, because chances are the person who is least in your eyes is least for a pretty good reason. You know, they are doing something that's hurtful or harmful toward you or someone you love, or maybe they're just really annoying, right? Well, here's what Alan Scott from the Vineyard in Anaheim suggests, and I, I love it so much that I am passing it on to you. Focus 100% of your attention on the 1% you can affirm about that person. Right? 100% of your attention on the 1% you can affirm. See, no one is absolutely, totally evil. Right? You may wonder about that sometimes. But no one is absolutely, totally evil. Not your neighbor, not your boss. Not even your ex. Now, maybe 99% of what that person is like, you cannot stand. Well, then zone in on the 1% that's good. Focus on that. Remember that. Talk about that. Affirm that. Even negative traits usually have a seed of good in them if you look hard enough. Right? So if you've got a belligerent, stubborn annoying neighbor, you can thank God for their resilience, their steadfastness, their willingness to just be themselves, right? If you know someone who is always argumentative, you can say, I really appreciate how you know your own mind. You are so firm in your convictions, right? There's always something. If nothing else, they're made in God's image, right? You can always affirm that, right? If there's someone at work who takes credit for the work of others, they're manipulative, they're controlling, you can honor their initiative and their drive. Now, you don't have to like how they do it, but you can honor what is at the root of it, right? See where I'm going? Maybe you are a tried and true Republican who thinks Democrats are leading us down a dangerous path to socialism. Well, even if you disagree with every plank in their platform, perhaps you could honor their passion for helping people in need. Or maybe you're a Democrat who has a really hard time thinking any good thoughts about Trump and those who support him. Well, even if you disagree with their methods, you could probably affirm maybe their zeal and determination for building a strong, healthy economy, right? Something. Look for something. 
In fact, I think we could ask the Holy Spirit for any person or any group of people, no matter how much we like or don't like them or what they do, we could ask the Holy Spirit to show us what is good in them, and he would do it. He would show you if you ask him what is good in them. And then we can speak that to them, about them, and to ourselves about them. We can honor them. We can value them. We can protect them. We can put them up on that pedestal knowing that doing so in no way diminishes ourselves. Every person is worthy of our honor. And you can call out what's honorable in people even when they don't see it themselves. That's a powerful way of being like Jesus, a powerful way of being witnesses for Jesus. And that's what Jesus did with the apostle Peter, right? Jesus called him a rock before Peter was anything like a rock. But Peter became a rock because Jesus honored him. He spoke it into his life. I mean, what a privilege. What an honor we have been given to be able to honor everyone, including and maybe especially those who are least in our eyes. We can be witnesses for Jesus every day to the ends of the earth. Jesus is inviting us to overflow with honor. Do you imagine how different we would be from maybe the culture around us if we did this? Can you picture that? What if we all did this on social media? Would that change things a little bit? Honoring all sorts of people, even the ones we disagree with? Man, we could just change the world. <laughs> There's an idea. Ah. And as we do that, you know, as we honor others, sometimes they're going to reciprocate. Because I do think uh, honor is contagious. Sometimes if you honor somebody, they're going to honor you in return, even if maybe you didn't have a good relationship before. But sometimes they won't. That's okay, though. Because one of the decisions we have to make regarding honor is that I will not allow your treatment of me to determine my treatment of you, right? I will not allow your treatment of me to determine my treatment of you. I will hold honor in my heart toward you no matter how you respond. That, again, is just being like Jesus. He honored us by coming into the world as one of us, and we responded by nailing him to a cross but he never stopped loving us. He never stopped honoring us. Jesus is inviting us to be like him. He's inviting us to overflow with honor. You know, when an eagle steps off that branch or that cliff, it begins to fall at first because it's heavy. And then it flaps its wings like crazy, begins to fly, searching for a thermal. It catches the updraft, then begins to soar, and from then on, flying is almost effortless. I mean, it's got to be a delight, don't you think? Soaring on those thermals, practically at rest, feeling the rush of the wind, the pure pleasure of flight. It's got to be a blast. Well, most of us didn't learn honor as a child. You know, we learned rules instead. Rules are what you default to when you don't have honor. You know, the reason we have mile-long business contracts, the reason when you 
get a new uh, app on your phone or whatever, and you have to, you don't even read all the pages and pages of things you're agreeing to, right? Their policies and procedures is because we don't have honor in our culture. Rules are what you default to when you don't have honor or when you don't understand honor. We're probably not starting from zero, any of us, but we all have a ways to go to become people who have hearts of honor. People especially uh, uh, who especially honor those who are least in our eyes. First step to that growth is to say yes to the Holy Spirit in us, which is kind of like stepping off a cliff. You know, we can be so used to protecting ourselves by making rules and judgments, wrapping ourselves in criticism and cynicism, judgment towards those who don't measure up to the rules that we've created in our minds, that it feels pretty risky to let go of all of that. And it takes some effort. It takes some work at first. We have to flap our wings like crazy, right? Practicing ways to recognize what is good in others and to show honor to them. But the Holy Spirit is in us, and he's strengthening us. He's empowering us. He's encouraging us, and he is transforming our hearts. As we keep saying yes to him, as we keep trusting and depending on him, it's like we're catching the thermals and riding them up into the sky. Living a life of honor becomes more and more natural for us as our hearts are transformed. And then with that heart of honor comes more and more of the joy and the freedom, and the abundant life of God. See, God created you to soar like an eagle. He created you to absolutely love this life he has given us, even with all of the difficulties it entails. God created you to relish in his abundant life, his abundant, overflowing life. And that's why Jesus never stops inviting you to receive more and more of himself and to live in the overflow of his life. Amen? Just stand. Let's pray. Thank you for your invitation, Jesus, to, to live in that overflow. Thank you for the invitation that you never stop making to us to come deeper and deeper into your life, into your love, into your grace, to receive more of you, more of your spirit, to yield more of our life. And we just say yes to that this morning. We invite you to, uh, to have your way in us. Let us become people of honor who overflow with honor, who uh, are uh, just representing you well in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.